I would encourage you to open your Bibles to Mark 15. Mark 15 is our text for us this morning, and you can see the title of this sermon is The Final Trial. This is it. This is the final trial of Christ. Jim Elliott, the martyred missionary to Ecuador, was a passionate believer who once wrote a prayer in his journal that said this, Father, make of me a crisis man. Bring those I contact to decision. Let me not be a milepost on a single road. Make me a fork that men must turn one way or another on facing Christ in me. Why would Jim Elliott write a prayer like that? Because that's what his Savior did. That's what Christ did. Jesus was not a, a milepost on a single road. He was a fork that made men either accept Him or reject Him. And in our passage here this morning, we're going to meet a man who is going to be faced with a decision about Christ. We're going to see a man who gets himself into a predicament where he's going to have to choose whether he is going to do what is right and stand up for Christ or whether he's going to give in to the crowd and condemn Jesus to death. This morning we're going to meet Pilate. Pilate, who is the judge at the final trial of Christ. Now if you remember from our time in Mark chapter 14, Jesus has been arrested in the garden. He was arrested in the garden of Gethsemane, and then he was taken over to Annas' place to be put on trial. And he stood before Annas there with that first trial that he encountered. Then while he was in that estate of the high priest where Annas lived, along with Caiaphas, who was the acting high priest at that time, he was then taken over before Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin which was then the second trial that Jesus endured. Then, as we'll see in our text here this morning, in verse 1, there's going to be another trial before the whole council of the Sanhedrin. That will then take care of the three religious trials. There were three religious trials, and there were three civil trials that Jesus went through in His arrest. After those three religious trials, then, he would have three civil trials. The first one would be before Pilate. He would go before Pilate, as we'll read about this morning. Then the second trial would be before Herod. Pilate doesn't want to deal with him, and so he sends him over to Herod to see if Herod could solve the dilemma. But Herod doesn't do anything. He doesn't make a judgment, and so Herod sends him back, back over to Pilate for the third and final trial there before Pilate. And Mark gives us two of these trials, the two trials of Pilate. He doesn't tell us about the trial of Herod, but he does tell us about the two trials of Pilate, these two civil trials. So let's read our passage here this morning, Mark chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. Follow along as I read our text for us. Early in the morning, the chief priests and the elders and the scribes and the whole council immediately held a consultation. And binding Jesus, they led him away and delivered him to Pilate. Pilate questioned him, are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, it is as you say. The chief priests began to accuse him harshly. Then Pilate questioned him again, saying, do you not answer? See how many charges they bring against you? But Jesus made no further answer. So Pilate was amazed. Now at the feast, he used to release for them any one prisoner whom they requested. The man named Barabbas had been imprisoned with the insurrectionists who had committed murder in the insurrection. The crowd went up and began asking him to do as he had been accustomed to do for them. Pilate answered them saying, do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he was aware that the chief priests had handed him over because of envy. 
But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to ask him to release Barabbas for them instead. Answering again, Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with him whom you call the king of the Jews? They shouted back, Crucify him. But Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him. Wishing to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas for them. And after having Jesus scourged, he handed him over to be crucified. Now, what we have just read here are actually three different scenes. There's three different scenes that are going on in these 15 verses. And so that's how we're going to break up our passage here this morning. The first scene that we're going to see is what we'll call the decision. The decision. The second scene we'll call the dilemma. And then finally, the third scene we'll call the doom. The decision, the dilemma, and the doom. So let's look at our first scene here, which we call the decision. Look at verse 1 and what it says there. Early in the morning, the chief priests with the elders and scribes and the whole council immediately held a consultation. And binding Jesus, they led him away and delivered him to Pilate. As I said, this is the the final religious trial before the Sanhedrin. It's the third and final religious trial before the Sanhedrin. And this happens early in the morning. You remember back in chapter 14, verse 72, the rooster crowed a second time after Peter had denied Christ three times. And the time of the rooster crow was about 3 a.m. So this is all happening in the middle of the night, in the early morning. But here then in chapter 15, in verse 1, we see this phrase, early in the morning, which is about 5 a.m. This is daybreak. When the the sun begins to rise, there's been a two-hour gap now from when Peter denied Christ and now when this trial, this third religious trial, begins early in the morning. So what happened then to Jesus during those two hours between 3 and 5 a.m.? Well, Jesus was taken by the temple police where they locked him up and they most likely continued to mock him and mistreat him. Remember, that's what they had done at the end of the second trial, that second religious trial before the Sanhedrin. They began to mock him and spit on him and beat him. That's what they continued to do during these two hours. They did this until daybreak when the Sanhedrin then gathered to bring their final decision against Jesus. Which, by the way, they had already illegally made during the night. You remember that. At that second trial, the first and the second trial, their decision was already made up, right? What are we going to do with Jesus? What was their decision? Crucify him. We want him dead. Death sentence. They wanted him dead. But they were not allowed to make decisions in the middle of the night. It was illegal for them to do that. But it was already made up. As they come to this third and final religious trial before the Sanhedrin. Why do they meet again in the morning? Why do they come to this third trial? Because they want to make things look like they are, what, that what they're doing and the decisions that they're making are legal. They have to do it only in the daytime when the sun has risen. That's the only time they're allowed to make decisions. They can't do it when the sun goes down. And so they have to meet one more time in order to get them all together with daylight so that way they can then condemn Jesus to death and make it look legal. What was their final decision that they come up with? They conclude that Jesus is guilty. He's guilty and he deserves the death sentence. Now, let me just pause right here and tell you that not every single person on that council of the Sanhedrin said that Jesus was guilty. Not every one of them did. There was one man on that Sanhedrin, on that council, who did not make that decision. Listen to Luke 23, 50. 
And a man named Joseph, who was a member of the council, a good and righteous man, he had not consented to their plan and action. A man from Arimathea, a city of the Jews who was waiting for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. And so you have Joseph of of Arimathea, who did not consent to this decision and this plan by the Sanhedrin. They obviously didn't have unanimous decisions. There was one man who didn't consent, Joseph of Arimathea. And we'll look at him a little bit later in this chapter. But the rest of the council, they declare that Jesus is guilty of death. But the Jews were not allowed to carry out the death sentence. They didn't have the power and the authority to carry out the death sentence. So they needed to get the Romans involved. And they needed to get the Romans on their side and have them carry out the death sentence because the Romans had the authority to do that. So they gathered together early in the morning and notice what it says there in verse 1. They held a consultation. That is, they, they made a decision and they formulated a plan. Their decision was, Jesus deserves death. And then they formulate a plan as to how they are going to make that happen. And what was their plan? Get Pilate to put Jesus to death. We'll go get Pilate. They didn't have the authority to do this, but they knew that Pilate did. So what did they do? Look at the end of verse 1. Notice what it says there. And binding Jesus, they led him away and delivered him to Pilate. Notice how they treat Jesus. Look at what they do. They bound him. They bind Jesus. They treat him as a criminal. As if Jesus is going to try and escape. As if he's going to try and run. They tie him up. They bind him. And they treat him as a criminal. And then they lead Jesus over to where Pilate was. And where was that? Turn over to John chapter 18. John chapter 18. John gives us some details in his gospel account that Mark doesn't give us. But I want you to see this, and I want you to see what's going on here, because this is important for us to know as we understand this final trial that's going on with Jesus. John chapter 18, and look at verse 28. Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas into the praetorium, and it was early. And they themselves did not enter into the praetorium so that they would not be defiled, but might eat the Passover. What do these Jewish leaders do? They bind Jesus up and they take him over to Pilate. They take him over to the praetorium. The praetorium. The praetorium was the headquarters of the Roman military and where the governor was. Who in this case was Pilate. Pilate was there in the praetorium. But when they bring Jesus over to the praetorium, which is about 6 a.m. in the morning now, since that was when the governor would have begun his work, he began early in the morning, they arrive with Jesus bound, and they send Jesus into the praetorium. But notice what it says there in verse 28. Who would not go into the praetorium? The Sanhedrin. Those religious leaders. Notice what they do. They stayed outside. Why did they do this? Because entering a Gentile house or dwelling was considered to be ceremonially unclean to them. This was Jewish oral law that had been passed down. Not found in here, but it's Jewish oral law that has been passed down to them. And this Jewish oral law had said that if you enter a Gentile home or dwelling, you are considered unclean. You don't go and mingle with the Gentiles. You don't go and hang out with them. You're a Jew. You go in there, you're unclean. So they stay outside. 
And what day is it for these Jews? It's the Passover. It's the Passover. They know that. They don't want to be unclean on Passover. So they send Jesus in. Bind him and send him in. Get him in there to go and see the judge. They need Pilate. At this time, they need Pilate to execute Jesus. They wouldn't go in to his dwelling for fear that they would become unclean, but they needed him. One commentator says, the duplicitous hypocrites would not defile themselves so that they could eat the Passover lamb, but had no concern that they would be eternally defiled for having killed the true Passover lamb. These are evil men. Self-righteous, religious men who think they're better than the Gentiles. Oh, we're not going to go in there with them. Even while they're doing everything that they can to get rid of Jesus, they are so self-centered and so self-righteous that they still only think about themselves. And they're going to do everything to make sure that they don't become unclean. So they send Jesus into the praetorium where Pilate is, which meant it must have been the Roman guards who took Jesus in before Pilate. Bound up, they send him inside. Now, let me just stop here and make a footnote about the relationship between the Jews and Pilate because this is important for us to know as we work our way through this passage. You see, Pilate was not from Jerusalem. Pilate didn't live in Jerusalem. He was from Caesarea. Historians tell us that when he became governor, that he brought some images of Caesar into Jerusalem and put them up around the temple. What did this do to the Jews? It outraged them. Why? Because images were considered to be idolatry. Those are idols. How dare you, Pilate, come and put idols around our temple? So what did the Jews do? They told Pilate to take them down, and eventually Pilate consented and removed those images. Then on another occasion, which we read about in Luke 13, 1, he had some Galileans killed in the temple while they were making a sacrifice. He killed them inside of the temple while they are there making a sacrifice. Their blood was spilled inside of that temple. What do you think this did to the Jews? Caused outrage. How dare you do that, Pilate? Then on another occasion, Pilate wanted to build an aqueduct to get water into Jerusalem. So what did he do? Listen to his plan. Pilate took money from the temple to go and construct this aqueduct. This really made the Jews upset. Because the money in the temple was supposed to be devoted to God. That's all you use that money for. You don't use it for an aqueduct. You don't do that, Pilate. Not to be used for an aqueduct or anything else that is not devoted to God. That money is strictly devoted to God. It's what it's called Corbin. Devoted to God. This made the Jews really mad. Then, on another occasion, as if Pilate hasn't already done enough to the Jews. Pilate then has shields bearing Caesar's name on them hung inside of Herod's palace. To which the Jews protested and they appealed to Caesar in Rome. Tattletales. They go and tell on Pilate. 
They go to Caesar in Rome. They tell him, he's put up these shields with your name inside of Herod's palace. And that's idolatry. We don't like it. So Caesar sends word back to Pilate and tells Pilate that he must take them down. Let's just say that the Jews hated Pilate. They did not like him. And Pilate despised the Jews. He didn't like them. The Jews couldn't stand him because of what he had done to them. But now, they need him. They need him. They know that they can use him because Pilate knows that if he messes up, they're going to go to Caesar and tell on him. They've already done it, right? (laughs) If you don't do what we tell you to do, Pilate, we're going to go to Rome and we're going to tell on you again. And the Jews know this. Pilate knows this. So although Pilate hated the Jews, he also wanted to please the Jews so that a bad word doesn't get back to Caesar. He's got to make sure that he doesn't get himself in trouble. Now, during the Passover, although Pilate is not from Jerusalem, he is in Jerusalem at this time because of the large crowds that would come and gather together in Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. There's a lot of people, pilgrims that would come from all over Israel, and they would gather together in Jerusalem on Passover. And so Pilate then makes his way over to Jerusalem because he has to make sure that there is peace in the city. Because if riots begin to break out in Jerusalem, what's going to happen? Word will get back to who? Caesar. And what is Caesar going to do? Come and take him off of his throne as governor. So he's got to make sure that there's peace in this city. And so he's there in Jerusalem at the Passover. And these Jewish leaders, they now need Pilate because they have Jesus arrested and they have decided that they want him dead. That was their final decision that they made on that early Friday morning. And so that's the decision. Turn back over to Mark chapter 15 with me. Let's look at our second scene. The second scene, which we'll call the dilemma. The dilemma. Now, we don't see this here in Mark, but if you were to read all of the gospel accounts and put them together, you would see that there are many movements that are going on here. As Jesus is there before Pilate. There's a lot of movement that's going on. Remember, Jesus and Pilate, as we read back in John 18, they are inside of the praetorium. They're there where Pilate is staying. But Jesus' accusers, the Sanhedrin, the council, they are outside. They won't go in. So Pilate has to keep going back and forth between Jesus, who is inside the praetorium, and his accusers, who are standing outside of the praetorium. And as Jesus is brought into the praetorium, obviously Pilate now is wondering why Jesus is bound up and seated before him. What's this man doing here? In John's gospel, he tells us that Pilate goes outside and said to the Jewish leaders this, What accusation do you bring against this man? This man that's bound up here in front of me, what accusation do you have against him? To which they reply this, If he were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him to you. Great answer, guys. (laughs) Really didn't answer the question. They didn't answer his question. So Pilate then says, you take him and judge him according to your laws. Pilate obviously didn't want to deal with Jesus. You guys just take him away and you guys go deal with him. But the Jews responded and they said this, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. Obviously, that's their final verdict. That's what they want to do to Jesus. The Jews have decided 
They want Jesus dead. That Jesus must die. Then they brought an accusation against Jesus and they said this, We have found this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar, which is a lie, right? What did Jesus tell the Sanhedrin when they came and asked him whether you pay to Caesar or not? Give unto Caesar that which is Caesar's and give unto God that which is God's. So they're lying here as they come and bring this accusation against Jesus. But they said, we found this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar, saying that he himself is Christ, a king. So what does Pilate do? Pilate goes back inside the praetorium where Jesus was. All right, I've heard what you guys have to say. Let me go back in and talk with Jesus. So he goes back in, and look at Mark chapter 15 and verse 2. Look at what it says here. Pilate questioned him. Pilate questioned Jesus. Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, it is as you say. Jesus declared himself to be the king. Which means Pilate is not the king and the Sanhedrin are not kings. Jesus is the king. And as the king, he has ultimate authority. John, in his gospel, he goes on and tells us that Jesus said, For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. If you are of the truth, you hear Jesus' voice. If you are not of the truth, you will not listen to him. To which Pilate looks Jesus in the face and he asks him this question. What is truth? He is staring truth right in the face. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And he's looking at the truth and he asks him this question, what is truth? And he asked Jesus, obviously sarcastically, not wanting an answer, but he asked this question, staring Jesus right in the face. But Pilate doesn't get the answer that he wanted. Jesus doesn't give it to him. So then Pilate's got to go back outside. All right, let's make our way back outside where the, these Jewish leaders are, where the Sanhedrin are. And he declares to the Jews, I find no fault in this man at all. There's nothing wrong. I don't know why you brought him here, but I find nothing wrong with him. He has done nothing wrong. How do they respond? Look at verse 3 of Mark 15. The chief priest began to accuse Jesus harshly. They begin to scream and shout and throw more and more accusations at Jesus because all they want Jesus to do is to go to a cross and be dead. They want him dead. So Pilate goes back inside to question Jesus. I told you there's a lot of movement going on here, right? But he goes back inside to question Jesus and look at verse 4. Then Pilate questioned him again, saying, Do you not answer? See how many charges they bring against you? They bring charges against Jesus. But Pilate knows that Jesus is innocent. And Pilate now wants Jesus to start denying all of the charges as that's what most prisoners would do, right? No, I'm innocent. I'm innocent. I'm not guilty. I, I don't know what they're talking about out there. But I'm innocent. And Pilate wants Jesus to do this. But what does Jesus do at this point? Notice verse 5. But Jesus made no further answer. So Pilate was amazed. Jesus remained silent. 
He keeps his mouth shut. No further answer in the Greek is a strong double negative showing that Christ remained completely silent. He just sat there. But isn't that what Isaiah prophesied? Isaiah 53, verse 7, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to slaughter, and like a sheep that is silent before its shears, so he did not open his mouth. Jesus is now silent before Pilate, and Pilate is now in a dilemma. He's got these angry Jews outside throwing charges against Jesus and wanting him dead. But he's got an innocent man sitting before him who won't speak up to defend himself. And why is Jesus silent at this point? Not only because it was prophesied that he would remain silent, but Jesus doesn't need to defend himself because what has Pilate already decided? He's already decided that Jesus is innocent. So why does he have to speak? Why does Jesus have to open his mouth? Pilate, you've already concluded it. You know I'm innocent. You know I've done nothing wrong. And seeing Jesus remain silent when they're bringing all of these charges against him and wanting him dead, this amazed Pilate. Why won't he speak up? Why is he not like all of the other prisoners who I've seen who continue to say, no, I'm innocent. I'm in it. No, I didn't do that. But he remains silent. And Pilate's amazed. And now he's got a dilemma on his hand. Does he please the angry crowd outside or does he do the right thing and release Jesus? What is he going to do? Well, we don't read it here in Mark, but Luke tells us that Pilate comes up with a plan to escape this dilemma. He comes up with a plan. Luke tells us that Pilate heard that Jesus was a Galilean. He spent a lot of time up in Galilee. He's from Nazareth. He's a Galilean. And since Herod, who had jurisdiction over Galilee, was in Jerusalem because it was the Passover festival... Pilate decides to let Herod handle this trial and to free himself from the dilemma. So he says, all right, you're not going to answer. I'll tell you what, you go see Herod. We'll let Herod make the final decision. So he sends Jesus over to Herod, which is the second civil trial that Jesus has now. He sends Jesus over to Herod, and Herod begins to question Jesus. But Jesus remained silent and did not answer Herod one word. Not a single word did he say in that trial. As Herod continued to question him and question him and question him, Jesus remained silent the whole time. So what does Herod do? Herod begins to mock Jesus. He mocks him and then he sends him back to Pilate. All right, you're not going to speak up? Well, I have nothing to do here. Go back and see Pilate. And he sends him back over to Pilate. Which leads now to our third and final civil trial here before the Romans. And this leads to our third scene this morning, which we'll call the doom. The doom. We saw the decision and the dilemma, and now we see the doom. Look at verse 6. Look at what it says there. Now at the feast, he used to release for them any one prisoner whom they requ requested. The man named Barabbas had been in prison with the insurrectionists who had committed murder in the insurrection. Herod didn't help Pilate out at all. Oh, Herod, why didn't you just do your job? <laughs> you could have just said he was guilty and take care of this thing. But Herod didn't. Herod sent him back to Pilate. Pilate comes up with another way to get out of this dilemma that he's in. The sources tell us that Roman governors would release a prisoner at the Passover. In order to show favor, 
they would, out of goodwill of their heart, would release a prisoner. Listen to what one commentator says. Since the feast of Passover was observed in commemoration of the release of the Hebrews from Egyptian bondage, the Roman governor customarily released a prisoner during the feast as a symbolic gesture of goodwill. It's essentially to keep in good spirits with the Jews. All right, I'll release a prisoner, one of your own, one of the Jews. I'll release one over to you. Pilate thinks now he's got the answer. I'm going to get out of this dilemma. I'll tell you what. You want me to release a Jew over to you? Well, here he is. But little did he realize that the Jews didn't want Jesus freed. They wanted him dead. Barabbas is there in prison, who's an insurrectionist, a robber, and a murderer who is trying to start a revolt against Rome. Pilate thinks that they'll want Jesus released instead of this guilty murderer, Barabbas. Look at what happens in verse 8. The crowd went up and began asking him, Pilate, to do as he, Pilate, had been accustomed to do for them. Pilate's now speaking to a different group of people who have obviously gathered there after hearing about all that's going on. The crowd now comes. Hey, what's going on over at Pilate's? Let's go see. The crowd now comes and they all gather around there at the praetorium. Of course, they won't go in, right? Because they don't want to be defiled. So they stay outside with the Sanhedrin. Pilate is now speaking to this group of people. This group of Jews. Obviously the Sanhedrin are standing there in their midst. And they call for Pilate to release a prisoner. They wanted one of their own, a Jew, to be released. It's Passover and that's what you're supposed to do, so release one. So Pilate goes out to the crowd and he says to them in verse 9, look at what it says there. Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? See what Pilate's doing? He's trying to get out of it. Trying to get out of this dilemma. Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? Pilate's thinking that he is now going to escape this dilemma. Because he knows that Jesus is popular with the crowds, right? As we've been working our way through Mark, we've seen how the crowds continue to follow him and follow him. Jesus was there on the temple grounds, and who's he teaching? The crowds, as they're all gathered around him. Jesus is a popular man. And remember, just four days before this, the crowd was welcoming Jesus into Jerusalem and hailing him as their king, as they're shouting Hosanna, as he comes into Jerusalem. So Pilate thinks, I've got him. I'll escape the situation and I'll release Jesus back to him. But Pilate, in asking this question, notice what he's also doing here. Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? What is he doing? He's snubbing the Jews here. He wanted to release Jesus and get back at these Jews who hated him. As if these trials that are going on here were all for nothing. You've just wasted my time, you Jews. Here, take your king back. I'll release one for you. You can have Jesus back. Notice what Pilate calls Jesus. The king of the Jews. Pilate is essentially saying to this crowd, I'll release a prisoner to you. Do you want your king back? Pilate knows that Jesus is popular with these people. And he knew that the Sanhedrin had turned Jesus over because they were envious of Jesus' popularity even though they tried to play it off like they were loyal to Rome, right? As they bring a false accusation against him. He's telling people not to pay taxes and he doesn't pay taxes himself. We're loyal to Rome. But Pilate sees what's going on here. You guys are just envious of this man because he's famous. He's popular. 
He's got a lot of people gathered around him. Pilate knew their true motives. He knew that their true motives were envy toward Jesus. Look at verse 10. For he was aware that the chief priests had handed him over because of envy. Pilate was a smart man. He knew what he was doing. At least he thought he knew what he was doing. And as a side note, Mark doesn't tell us, but Matthew tells us that during this time, Pilate's wife came up to Pilate and told Pilate to do nothing to Jesus because she had suffered a bad dream because of Jesus. And she told him he is a righteous man. Leave him alone. Don't do anything with him. So Pilate is doing everything that he can to get rid of Jesus and release him. He wants nothing to do with Jesus. It was also during this time that Pilate went back outside to the chief priests and again he declared Jesus to be innocent. In fact, he told them that Herod had found him innocent. But little did he know, look at verse 11. Look at this. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to ask him to release Barabbas for them instead. These religious leaders went through that crowd and they turned everyone against Jesus. They spouted lies and they were used as pawns to get this crowd to turn against an innocent man. They were able to get the crowd to say that they wanted Barabbas to be released instead of Jesus. This must have shocked Pilate. Think about the shock of Pilate. He knows he's innocent. And out of surprise, Pilate asks in verse 12, look at what it says in verse 12, then what shall I do with him whom you call the king of the Jews? Pilate's not asking for information from them, but he's asking them this question out of surprise because he knows that Jesus is innocent. And how did the crowd then respond? Look at verse 13. They shouted back, crucify him. This must have shocked Pilate. And it should shock us too. These were the same people who four days earlier were shouting Hosanna as Jesus came in on a donkey into Jerusalem. And in four days, they turned from Hosanna to crucify him. And they joined forces with Judas, with Annas, with Caiaphas, with the Sanhedrin, and with Herod. They joined forces with them, and they're now all against Jesus. But Pilate still doesn't think that Jesus is guilty. He's still trying to maintain the innocence of Jesus. Look at verse 14. But Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him! As this crowd gets ramped up more and more, they continue to shout out again and again, Crucify him! Crucify him! And all of a sudden, Pilate now has to make a decision. Jesus is now a fork in the road. And Pilate now has to make a decision as to what he is going to do with Jesus. What's he going to do? Is he going to release this innocent man? Or is he going to be swayed by the crowd and do the wrong thing? Will he stand up for Jesus? Or will he turn him over? Well, the answer for us is found in verse 15. Look at what it says there. Wishing to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas for them. And after having Jesus scourged, he handed him over to be crucified. Pilate gave in. 
and he's now doomed. He was fearful of the crowd, and because of his fear of the people, he turned his back on Jesus. He wanted to satisfy the crowd, which he's ultimately just trying to satisfy himself, right? That's what's going on there. He's trying to satisfy himself because he knows that if he does the right thing and releases Jesus, that a riot is going to break out from the people and word is going to get back to Caesar and Pilate's going to be in trouble. So he's just trying to save himself. And he gives into the request of the people and he turns Jesus over to be scourged. This scourging here is a horrific act. Horrific act. They took Jesus and they whipped him severely as he was tied to a pole. What they would do with the prisoners there is they would tie him to a pole. They would beat him with a whip that had multiple strands that came off of the handle. And embedded into those strands was metal and bone. Pieces of metal and bone. So that as the whip hit that person's back, it would stick into the flesh and then it would rip the flesh off the back. It would even expose tendons and muscle and even organs. That's what they did to our Savior. Horrific torture as they beat him and whipped him and scourged him. Then when the Romans were done scourging a prisoner, they would then take that prisoner to be crucified. And Pilate was the one who ordered this for Jesus. He knew that Jesus was an innocent man. And yet he gave in to the pressures from the world and he had Jesus crucified. He had a choice that day. Pilate had a choice that day. Either submit to the king and pronounce him innocent or give in to the pressures of the world and turn your back on Jesus. Pilate chose the latter. And while this is the final trial for Jesus, this is not the final trial for Pilate. How do we know? Revelation 20 tells us of the great white throne judgment. One day, Pilate will be put on trial at the great white throne judgment. And on that day, he will be on trial before the true judge. The judge of heaven and earth. Before Jesus. And what will his final verdict be? Guilty. Guilty. And he will be condemned to an eternal lake of fire. And that will be the outcome of everyone who rejects Christ. Everyone will stand before Christ one day. And you will either receive a crown, eternal life, because you've repented of your sin and put your faith in Jesus, or He will condemn you to an eternal lake of fire. And you will spend an eternity away from Christ. But everyone who repents of their sin and puts their faith in Christ, they will have rest for their souls. We will have eternal life. And He will reward those who belong to Him with an eternal crown and everlasting life. Those who believe in Him will be given an eternal crown, not because of what we have done, but because of what Christ has done for us, because of His sacrifice on the cross for our sin. Listen, 
What will you do with Jesus? Will you submit to Him as Lord and live in obedience to Him? Or will you reject Him and face Him on Judgment Day? Jesus is not a milepost on a single road, but He's a fork in the road. And you have to decide yourself what you will do with Jesus. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You that Your Word impacts our hearts. We thank You for the truth that we have in Your Word. Pilate asked the question, what is truth? Father, You have revealed the truth to us. Because we are Yours. We are in Christ. We thank You for the truth that You have revealed to us and we thank You for the work that You have done in our hearts. Father, I pray that You would help us to live our lives in submission to Christ, our King. That we would live in obedience to Him who is the King over all. Father, we thank You that You put Christ on that cross to save us from our sins. Lord, we know that Pilate was just a pawn who was used in Your plan. And yet he was responsible for everything that he did. And the same with the Sanhedrin. But Lord, we know that ultimately this was fulfilling your perfect plan of salvation. We thank you that you were pleased to crush him for our iniquity. And that by his scourging, we are healed. Father, help us to remember this truth. And I pray for anyone who's here this morning that doesn't know you. Father, I pray that they would repent of their sin and put their faith in Jesus Christ. That they would submit their life to Him. That they would call Him Lord and Savior and run to Him. God, I pray that You would do Your work in their heart. Father, help us to live for Your glory. In your glory alone, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.